And the whole action of the movie is pivoted upon a man's decision to ignore a qualified woman doing her job. Hello, welcome and salutations. This is the Feminist Present, the podcast where we use the gift of feminism to figure out what's going on right now, or 1986, as the case may be. It's never easy. I'm Laura Good. I'm Adrian Dom. And oh my God, what kind of journey did you send me on with? You are the diabolical professor, and I think the yeah. audience needs to know. Why yeah. don't we so start? So what happened? Yeah, you you start. <laughs> Longtime fans, well, anyone who listened to our last episode knows that we are a little salty about the fact that the film club didn't really catch on. So we're doubling down. Eternally uh, salty. We're going back to the 80s. We're going back to the 80s. We're going back to movies a little bit. You know, we're extending We're extending a James Cameron theme, too. I, I have, I have some that. previous points to hearken back to, Professor. Yes, yes. Fewer, fewer Leo appearances this time, but... Tragically so. So the idea behind this is women of horror. And I think that that's a... It's a fun topic. There are a couple of things we want to explore. Um, there are like 10 movies that I sort of have in mind that, or that Laura's brought up over the years that I think could be really fun. This is going to be an intermittent thing. We both have small children. So like <laughs> the amount mm-hmm. of time we have like people exploding on our screen is like oh my God, probably yeah. like an hour every night. We, we had a lot in common with the Aliens franchise that way, really. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the dripping fluids uh, <laughs> tend to be different ones. But, Hashtag uh, relatable. Like the, the, amount, the amount of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre I can like screen is like in the single digit minutes per, oh per night. So basically, Is that the one? I'm, is Jamie Lee Curtis in the original of that? Is that her? No, no. That's Halloween no that one, I'm thinking No of. one really, that's Halloween, yeah. Yeah. But I think we should think about Halloween as well. The feminist takes on the horror genre are plentiful and they're very interesting. And I mean, if we're going here, we're going to Jennifer's body. Like, oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> but also, I mean, also feminist critiques of it, right? I mean, like the totally. famous uh, Carol Clover book that maybe we should talk about a little bit, um, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And you have a dream of lesbian vampires. That's right. You know, a dream I support, I, I, too. All for yeah. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, just like... Like the aliens franchise really I, I look at my political donations will show me very much in the pro camp yes <laughs> look if someone doesn't support it they may not make it i find myself both excited and terrified at this juncture because this viewing of like you didn't on this run view both alien and aliens like the first oh, and the I second did. oh you did oh you did we're after, both well so after we talked about it more backstory yeah <laughs> There's more flashbacks in this than in a Tarantino picture. We read our text in the last 48 hours. The thing you need to know, this is an episode about aliens with a with a with an S. The second. The, the second sequel, in yes. the series, long-running franchise about drippy, acid-blooded, yeah. One crucial S. Well, Laura, yesterday in preparation for this episode, wanted to discuss the movie a little bit, and it became very obvious to me early on that she was discussing a different movie than the one I had watched in preparation, which is Alien with an N. Single alien. Yeah, directors do more different titles yeah. than that. Like, that's an easy piece of Hulu confusion for FC. So I'm guessing you yesterday sat down and saddled up with Vasquez uh, and uh, and Bishop and the rest of them. Uh, and I went back to the Nostromo yes. and got to see John Hurt, you know, birth an alien out of his chest. So, you know, I, I, I did my part. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm not going to make you do penance by making you listen to my thoughts on aliens. But honestly, like, I think that might have been 
second only to the Blair Witch Project in like most terrifying movie I have ever seen. I actually thought Aliens 2 was significantly less scary than Aliens 1. And we can talk about that in various ways. My grand theory is basically, at least in my readings of them, like Alien 1 is essentially a suspense horror movie. Like something horrible is lurking around the corner and you never know when it's going to get you, right? Like that's the action of Alien single, first one. Aliens is like a war hero battle sci-fi movie it's like it's a gorier star wars like the first to me was psychologically scarier and more suspenseful Mm -hmm. and like the second was way more action-packed and like man did i feel the presence of james cameron all over i have like pages of james cameron notes yeah i know it's definitely a very different beast and i think it's deliberately so and he's on record as saying that he basically figured he couldn't outdo the first oh, but it is such yeah, a james do the first and he was gonna do a, a, a oh, totally oh different, different. i see i thought you were saying different than cameron's other oh, work no. you were saying he knew the sequel was different than the original alien i agree yes because yeah. It, it has Cameron fingerprints oh, all yeah. over it. So before we get to the James Cameron of it all, should we start with the first one? Let's talk our way through both of them for the folks, for the very few folks in the audience who've never seen either of them or who haven't seen them for long enough that they all Recently. kind of blend together. There's so many of these now. There's right. There's like, yes. there's the three original ones and there's Resurrection. Then there's the one with the weird white alien uh, Prometheus. Then there's the one with Covenant and there's, there are a couple of alien versus predators in there too. So this has been going on for, for a long time. But the first yes, one yes. I call is the one by Ridley Scott where Sigourney Weaver is still sort of actually only one of the the ensemble. It's not even quite clear that she's the main character. She's not space Persephone That's right, yet yeah. in the first Yeah, she's, she's basically yeah. a group of a sort of blue-collar crew of this freighter slash refinery ship or something like that called the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. A film with like some labor themes up in there. Absolutely. It's very much a 70s sort of blue-collar movie. Yes. It's, it's almost and kind of also an industrial disaster movie. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that maybe in a second. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, what, what's that one with the nuclear? power plant you know china syndrome oh yeah um sort of a mid-70s kind of workplace thriller because it turns out yes. their ship is on its way back to earth in the very beginning of the picture they think they're back in, at earth but then they have to find out that their ai basically their ship ai yes. named mother uh has led them to a different place because it picked up a distress beacon which turns out to be either a trap or a stay the hell away from this beacon. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and basically they don't want to go down because they're they're not space heroes. They're literally like, you know, truckers, basically. Mm-hmm. They're space truckers. Mm-hmm. And then they're told that basically if they don't heed this distress beacon, they're forfeiting their share of the profits. It's a labor motivation. Yeah, they're trying to it's get It's a labor motivation, yeah, right? as they should. Yeah. I am pro-union in space, yes. Yeah, it sounds like they've been there for months, if not maybe years in this thing. They're kind of like paramilitary truckers in the way that they're coded, too. Like, I agree that it's a blue-collar labor force, but, like, there's a specificity to the training huh. that, and, and the equipment and the... and the. Uh, I thought they have no uniforms. guns, for instance. I mean, they're, they're very... they're very. I mean, I have no idea what I'm talking... I'm, I'm like, surfing on vibes here i'm just saying like that was the sense i got from that character yeah. building to me i get a coal miner or trucker vibe in the sense that they're they're none of them are 
are slouches, but you know, unlike the people that the aliens will eat in the uh, in the second one, yeah. they're average Joes. And one of the interesting things, unlike uh, let's say later movies in the franchise, like Sigourney Weaver is by far not the biggest star in this ensemble, right? There's a bunch of people that people would at least in the mid late seventies knew, like Tom Skerritt, oh, uh, ha- Harry Zaddy Dean that's Stanton. Right, Harry Come Dean on. Stanton yeah. is in it. Um, yeah. Who else is in it? Uh, Ian Holm plays the on. Yeah. Board. Kind of, what, what is he? He's a science officer or something like that? Yeah. It's an incredibly small cast in the first yeah. one. I looked it up. It's a very like bottled up movie because they're all on the ship, right? Yeah. And I think there's only like 10 people in the entire cast of the first movie. It's it's a, like almost like a play in that way. Yeah. And it has a feeling of a, I mean, a haunted yes. house in the sense that everyone, because it's this indus- big industrial structure, like basically they're on an oil tanker in space, they kind of tend to wander off constantly yes. and be very easy pickings for a... Yeah rapidly evolving xenomorph yeah yeah well so in your summary that you were going at a minute ago you were driving towards like a very important volta in the film which is the the keep going in your summary so they're like "Uh, you're doing better than i'm going to yeah so on this planet they find this alien ship right now one thing that i I, in on the rewatch i couldn't remember is like do they know that there are aliens or has humanity never met any i have no idea but like they're definitely a little weirded out but they're not completely like Going, no, ah, whoa. There isn't you know, like, like the ecstasy of discovery. There's just like, okay, here's what we're surveying today. Here's yeah, the, here's the yeah. mission we were sent to complete. Yeah, yeah. And the alien ship, based on designs by H.R. Geiger, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, production the, design of both is mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. And they discover this room full of eggs, leathery, quivering, like like sort of damp-looking eggs. Yes. And in a moment of like just horror the only time in the movie where someone has like true horror movie brain is like oh maybe if i should stick my face very very close to it and poke it poke, poke. otherwise i have to say these people generally behave like average joes might if they were came face to face with a horrifying creature from outer space but that that to me i was like come on man really <laughs> really are you drew barrymore answering the phone in this movie yeah 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 <laughs> anyway so the, so nothing Two bad happens outwardly. One of them gets a weird parasite on his face. Yes. But whomst among us has not had a Truly. weird parasite attached to our face? They take him back to the ship and take off. And then there's the famous scene where John Hurt... Crucial moment. Very crucial moment we're plowing up to right here. Yes. Yeah. Where a Bolognese pasta dinner turns into just the most disgusting... No, 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 no. Oh. You skipped over a very important... I want to talk about that, but you skipped over a very important part. There's oh, sorry. Of course, yeah. scene in the cockpit. I'm not going to remember any of the characters' names. Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, is talking to whoever's at the like helm of the cockpit. That's right. Being like, we can't break quarantine by letting this man who's just been impaled by an alien back on the ship. And the whole action of the movie is pivoted upon a man's decision to ignore a qualified woman doing her job. (laughs) And they let the person who has been penetrated by the alien back on the ship. And this is what brings us to the horrible dinner table you were describing. Yeah. But this is a theme that comes back in Aliens, where, again, they ignore Sigourney Weaver and everything goes really, really haywire from there. Although I would say that, like, it's true. Ripley is the, that's the moment when you realize she's marked as the final girl. She's going to be the one who's going to yes. survive because she's the yes. only one who didn't bring it on herself on that ship. Yes. 
exactly and they do by ignoring her yeah, too yeah but, yeah but it's interesting we'll have to talk about the difference between the first and the second she's always the lone voice being like is this a good idea guys yes totally and it never is but she does it for totally different reasons she does it for totally different reasons the first and the second and the first one I would say it's about competence and it's about what kind of level-headedness. And she's just like... Protocol. It's about protocol, too. There's a good reason this rule exists. Let's not fucking chance it. Yes. In the second movie, she's the only one... Like, she's... We'll say more about that in a second, but she's surrounded by all these machos who basically are like, oh, we're not afraid of whatever's out there. And she's like, you maybe should be. The acid-spewing face hunters. I am afraid. And I'm telling you, this is a bad, bad, bad idea, right? Some way, it's her experience, and to some extent, also just like the fact that she can live with her own fear, yeah. that sets her apart. Good point. First point is like more about her professionalism than her courage. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I mean, it's in some way, it's what all her friends are kind of being warm-hearted and humane. They're all saying, look, I mean, I get it, but like, we're not going to let this, leave this guy to die here, right? Like, or we can't... Right. We can't stick around forever, right? It's also understandable. Stand-up is interesting precisely because, like, obviously we know, given that we've seen the trailer of the movie, that, like, this is a supremely bad idea. But, like, totally, it's absolutely understandable why they're, like... Oh, it's it's a very legible conflict. Yeah. And then that brings us to the poisoned Last Supper. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, the alien bursts forth from this choking man's torso, like, with blood spurting onto the table. It is it is the most horrifying, terrifying, like, visually traumatizing moment I think I've ever experienced in cinema. And I was, like, shaking in my chair. But it's also, like, I was noticing that the film up until that point, I think we're about 30 minutes in at that point, yeah. like, is pretty boring. Like, there isn't much happening up until that point. Like, I was yawning a little bit. I was like, this is just like a more boring Star Wars, you know, until that point. And then you're in a completely different movie. One of the things that the Alien films, have, I think, have had long done until sort of very recently is kind of utilize the pacing of like more of an art house film, right? Like, or of a hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Like there's a lot of wonder and a lot of pointing at stuff and going ooh and ah before people have their chests burst open, right? Like, So yes, totally. And the James Cameron way of doing that comes through so strongly in yeah. Aliens. Like it was straight out of Titanic, the way they're just like exploring the ship and yeah. leading, leading the viewer through the ship and the characters, yeah. but we'll get there. So another thing that I want to sort of set into context about Alien, the first one, is I was like, what the fuck was going on in the world at this moment that made people sort of so obsessed with this story? Because this was a little bit of a runaway hit. It isn't that big of a budget. It's like $11 million budget, and then they do $185 million at the box office. It's a huge hit. That's why they have so many sequels. But I had to look up like a nerd, like NASA missions (laughs) for this time. And there isn't anything like obviously pointing to this, but there were several main space explorations of the 70s aimed at the sun, Helios 1 and 2. And then there was a Landsat program for distance photography of the Earth. And that seemed interesting to me just in the way that like, I don't understand how these characters are supposed to exist in relation to the Earth. You know what I'm saying? Some of them are androids. Some of them are humans. Are the humans understood to be from Earth? Yeah, that's what they're trying to get back to, I think. When they say that's this okay. is not our system, I think they're talking about our system. So this movie too, yeah, this movie too is a different kind of like distance photography of the earth. And I think there's something interesting about that. There's also like some interesting feminist notes of the 70s to bring in here once we get to my insane crush on Sigourney Weaver's Stanford graduate. 
but what were you going to say? I mean, one thing we should maybe say before that, just in terms of sort of its anti-humanism, the way that like, Ooh. and I don't mean that like the movie doesn't revel on this, but the movie basically like it's a it's a cosmic horror movie. Yeah, right? it's it's taking the like same that. idea as in like two thousand one, being like human beings are incredibly small, yes, and incredibly insignificant, Limited. and the way it's never resolved what exactly this creature is. And why it exists. The sequels keep trying to do this, and it's horrible. But like, basically, for the first three, we don't really know what this is. And is it basically a disease? Is it a, right? Does it just have all the universe being parasitic, or is it? Is this a bioweapon? Yeah, like almost feel right. Like given that it has a beacon, is the beacon a trap? What, what what's happening here, right? And so I yeah. think that works for the late seventies. It's a fairly nihilistic movie, and that like these are not aliens that come to earth to do something or because they want something precious from us they're just like they don't give a shit like as long as they can face hug us and like burst out our chest like they're like yep chest is a chest i don't care yes yes i mean like how do i say this there's a way in which this film alien the first one identified something about sci-fi to me that i didn't understand before <laughs> and frankly something about why sci-fi isn't usually my preferred genre like to me an anxiously wired person like the comprehensible world is terrifying enough so when you then introduce this concept of the incomprehensible you know yeah. parasite aliens eating your face from outer space it's like well that's one more thing for a goddamn mother in the modern world to worry about it's now, a Tuesday. you know? It's a Tuesday for fuck's sake. <laughs> but like, one point that I wanted to make when you were just describing the aliens was I don't know if this is a misunderstanding of my viewing, but it was much clearer to me in the second movie than the first that these aliens were actually alive in a sense that they could be killed. You know, in the first movie, mm -hmm. they don't get that far past the like, oh my god, it's spurting acid, it might be a bioweapon. Like, I don't remember if they actually kill the facehugger in the first one. No, the, the facehugger, I think, dies after impregnating. I mean, like the whole thing, I there is a hint of a life cycle, right? There's There's a moment when the ship's I forget what he's, is he the engineer or something like that who kind of keeps wandering know. the halls and is like the first guy to go, obviously. Yeah. He finds like the sloughed skin of the alien. You know, you're supposed to read kind of an insect kind of life cycle into this. So I think we're we're okay. supposed to yeah. think it's alive. Okay, I believe you. But the fact that it doesn't do anything, doesn't want anything, that it just kind of... It's just a predator. It's a predator. And these people just happen to be in its way, basically. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely terrifying. Of course, the movie... I think typical of the late 70s wants to have it both ways, right? Like on the one hand, there is this absolutely terrifying kind of Lovecraftian yes. kind of cosmic horror thing where basically like the human being is absolutely pointless and doesn't matter. What, what matters are these forces way beyond our control and understanding. But on the other hand, we do get a kind of corporate chicanery kind of storyline in the sense that like the crew after a while, spoiler alert, realizes that they were likely diverged to this planet on Set purpose. Up, Someone's yeah. like, well, let's let the grunts pick it up. And and this is something that comes back in the sequel that basically that there are people on Earth, you know, basically weapons and R&D arms, basically, that are interested in figuring out what this is and don't give a shit if like it ends up killing people, murdering a, a whole crew. Yeah, there's a research entity that's willing to make human sacrifices in the name of information gathering. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, 
So I think another feminist critique that we have to bring in here is is like the most obvious one, right? Which is that if we're talking about this movie as a sort of launching of an incomprehensible fear written and directed by men, that incomprehensible fear is a being that comes to occupy and burst out of your body. <laughs> and this is coming seven years after Roe v. Wade passes. This is coming amidst the feminist debates of the 70s, right? Isn't 72 when Roe v. Wade passes? 73, but wait. Isn't this 77? Okay. I thought, when, when is Aliens? I thought it was 70. It's 79. 79 sorry. So 79. Yeah yeah. 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 So six years after. Yeah. So that comes through like a little bit more literally in the image of like the being bursting out of Sigourney Weaver in the dream that she has in the second one. Mm -hmm. But like this like host fear that haunts the first movie seems very relevant to like the gender debates of the seventies. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, I mean, it's, it's not subtle about that. No, it is interesting that it takes the less subtle than anyone, James Cameron to make it explicit because in aliens, the only person we meet who actually does get chest burst is a woman. It's interesting to think that like, you know, in the first movie, it very much is a male member of the crew. And they're still kind of playing in that scene also. I mean, like on the one hand, like the pregnancy metaphor is obvious. The fact that he's been fertilized is pretty obvious. Fertilization as colonization, really. Yes, yes. Absolutely, exactly. And as essentially deadly, right? Like as this new life means the end of the old one. Feeling that, you know, again, like if you're... If you're a new parent, don't watch this movie. Human to host. It's the human to host pipeline. Yeah. At the same time, I do think that rewatching the scene yesterday, I, I knew we were going to talk about this. It is also noticeable that unlike, let's say, Alien 3, where this is made very, very obvious, where, spoiler alert, Sigourney Weaver has a alien inside of her. I think it's noticeable that they're also playing with a whole bunch of other things, like the way he's convulsing reads a little bit like epilepsy. Like, they're, they're you know, they're, they're playing with just like all these horrors, all these body horrors of like, but of course the most potent one is basically the one of like, oh shit, I have life growing inside of me. But the way he sort of convulses, I mean, the first thing they do is I think they put a knife between his teeth, which is what you do when... When someone's having a seizure, I believe. Yeah, so they don't bite off their own tongue. Yeah, it's a really kind of interesting, like watching them react, I think is a really, really interesting moment because it it tells you what they think is happening. And to some extent, I think what probably the guidance was from director Ridley Scott, right? Think of it as X. One of the great things about that scene is precisely that until a slightly goofy moment when the baby alien kind of just like zips away in this like very fake looking way, it's partly so gripping because like everyone's reactions just are perfect. You know, the, the, this dawning awareness that this is not normal, that this is not, you know. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's really, really good. And part of this must have been that they basically were given some pretty good advice about like how does your character or they or they reflected on what does your character think they're witnessing in the beginning Um, Mm. i like that a lot yeah the dawning horror can we please before we fully transition to aliens talk about sigourney weaver and her perfection i mean i love her i've always loved her but like i know this is her most famous role and i had never seen it like i am the doe in the woods of these movies so like for context she is 30 in the first movie. This is seven years after she graduates from Stanford and five years after she gets her MFA from Yale. This is also a good reason why she should call me because I'm having like a whole like Sarah Paulson, Holland Taylor desire towards Sigourney. Like we have so much in common. She studied English. She has an MFA, you know, like I think we could have some things to talk about. Oh, that'd be great. (laughs) She's also very tall, obviously. And like, 
there was something just so interesting about the quality of her presence to me, because there's something about her that kind of recalls these like blue blooded seven sisters, women of her generation, like Meryl Streep or Nora Ephron. Like she's very much of that generation of like genteel white women. But she's so tall and strong. Like, this is what's most striking about her physical presence. And, like, it lends her this kind of superhuman quality that is so brilliant for the casting texture of these films and for Mm. her position in, in, like, these films' trajectory and, like, the heroine she becomes. And there was something in, like, the way that she's conceptualized and the way that she's shot where in the first movie I was like, are they making her, like, a Jesus figure? Like, (laughs) she's out here, like, saving children and sort of, like, being the moral compass. But then then I, I landed in my space Persephone interpretation, which really comes through in Aliens, which we can now transition to talking about because, like, of course they involve a child. Yeah, well, let's talk about her in Alien 1 a little bit, because the whole thing is meant to look, I think, like a truck stop grime, right? Like people are smoking. It's a very grimy movie. It's very grayscale. While the Nostromo itself is gigantic, their actual living quarters, as they would be, they're sleeping most of the journey, are actually quite cramped and small and really kind of feel like an oil rig or something like that, or or maybe a tanker or something like that. It has these uh, kind of cramped quarters thing, and where I think also like Sigourney Weaver doesn't stand out as much in the beginning physically. They're always sort of leaning over. No, no. She's often see, she's often seated or leaning over like in the cockpit early scenes. Yeah. And the other thing that the thing that though that does make her stand out a little bit is that she is quite a bit younger than most of the other actors, which is really interesting. One of the things that I hadn't noticed about Alien uh, until I saw it again a couple of years ago is that for a horror movie, the actors are quite old. They're all my age. <laughs> They're all like in their forties, which yeah, kind yeah. Of really works for the film yeah. in the sense that you get that these people have probably had this job for too long at this point. And like, you know, it's never said, but is Ripley maybe one of the youngins in that crew and therefore like gets overruled in that moment? Yeah. Yes. I think she has a kind of young buck quality in the way they're putting her in the They never chorus. say it. They yeah. never say it, right? No. Yeah. They never say it, but like there is something like Tom Skerritt is not, is like, you know, look, I respect you, but I'm not, I'm not taking your word over mine. Like I, I've been doing this. There is a little bit I've been doing this way longer than totally. you kind of thing. Yeah. And there, there's something noticeable about the way that she kind of stands out through her, her youth totally. there a little bit. So let's talk about Alien, Aliens, the second one. And the, my first note was, are you making me watch this movie because it's so gay? <laughs> because like there's an androgyny to Sigourney, which we've already sort of glanced upon. Yeah. But like the note I was taking was like, by the time we're watching Vasquez do pull-ups and be asked if she's ever been mistaken for a man, while Sigourney like is strutting around in this like undershirt and underpants, like that's already feeling like pretty like lesbian sleepover. But then the next scene is like all of the screaming men doing the knife thing so it's like screaming men trying to penetrate each other with the stabbing 
knife right after the lesbian pull-ups. So like, I'm like, okay, we are in a different movie, James Cameron. All right. Yeah. Well, we might, we might complete that joke, right? Uh, Vasquez has asked, have you ever been mistaken for a man? And she says, no, have you? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very wittily. I, I would say that I think Cameron makes it in a way that, and this is why I suggested we do aliens rather than alien. Alien is a movie about sort of blue collar politics the second movie is about gender, I think, to, to some extent. I liked Aliens distinctly more than I liked Alien. For for some yeah. of the, the genre notes I was already making about how I think the first one is kind of more of a suspense horror movie. And I think the second one yeah. is sort of like a war battle action movie. The second one is just like more exciting and action packed in that sort of delicious James Cameron way. And like, yeah. <laughs> like immediate connections. that. I, so one thing I discovered in Cameron Connections when I was doing research for this is I was like, because there was something about the opening scene of Aliens that actually really reminded me of Titanic in in yeah. the in the sense of these men in suits, including Bill Paxton, like probing the strange dark underworld with these like penetrating torches of light. Like that visual imagery was like a lot like the beginning of Titanic. And I noticed that the wreck of the Titanic was first discovered in the exact, like first revisited in 1985 in September, the exact month that this movie was in production. And mm-hmm. I very much doubt that that event went unnoticed by James Cameron. So you have to like wonder about that connection. Yes. Yeah, so maybe I'll do a quick rundown of what happens in Aliens. So sure. we're something like 60, 70 years after the first movie. At the end of the first movie, basically Sigourney Weaver throws the alien out of an airlock, which she will do several more times in her career Indeed. and gets in this escape pod and basically hopes that she can make her way to civilization. And that happens and and she gets picked up six years later by basically the same global corp or whatever that like has sent her to die on this planet. And she's like, well, so we went to this planet. You got to just make sure to nuke it or whatever. They're like, well, no, because like we have a big colony there now. And she's like, what, what's wrong with you people? And, you know, five minutes later, they're like, oh, and we lost contact with them. And she's like, yeah, remember what I told you about yeah. uh, hey hugging aliens? That's what this is about. Yes. So she gets herself convinced to basically join a large group of space marines. So everything that is... Space marines. I like that. It's yes. pretty ingenious. Everything that basically characterized the first one, Cameron, like, entertainingly turns on its head, right? The first one was about weak and everyday characters in an outmatched environment against a single creature that they couldn't really spot yes the second one is about they have the numbers they have the weapons they have the training etc etc and the entire time um you know ellen ripley goes we're still all gonna die we're still all gonna die and they're like trust us trust you know we we got this and like sit down honey the entire thing becomes exactly an exploration of machismo and basically how it's how it kills basically that mm-hmm. that these which is Deadly. a very common theme in, in James Cameron that like there's a kind of toxic masculinity that just basically leads to to disaster right yeah. the most beautiful thing about the movie I think is that there are a couple of these Marines that sort of come around to her way of seeing it and yes. they don't mostly make it but like they certainly have a better go of it than most others if they are able to say we are beaten we have to get out of here, take pride out of it. It's really kind of yeah. interesting. And it's, and it's a very much, I mean, this is a mid eighties thing, right? Like Cameron has just written, right? Has, didn't he write one of the Rambo movies and stuff like that? I mean, like Probably. he's familiar with the kind of like Reagan era, masculine military industrial complex basically thing. And this is kind of a deconstruction of that saying like, it's basically just a disaster waiting to happen. And in the end, it's the dispassionate, and to some extent, kind of sardonic robot bishop 
and the little girl Newt, who's the only one who survived from the original colony, and Ellen Ripley, and I guess the commander of the platoon that basically sort of becomes her love interest mm-hmm. that sort of survive mm-hmm. to the end and basically, well, they all make it through more or less intact. So one of them is missing his lower body. One is the, not quite intact, but somehow yeah, yeah. still extant. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But they're the only ones who sort of have any chance of making it through. Yes. You brought in some good Cameron notes there that I was also thinking about. One of them that he was just coming off of directing Rambo 2 and that he also wrote and directed Aliens. And you really feel that in this movie. Like I actually think that was ultimately why this movie was less anxious making to me than the Ridley Scott original was like, I was like, I know a James Cameron universe. Like I know that everyone I'm being introduced to in the first 30 minutes is someone who I'm going to see die a gory death in the last 45. Like I I know this play-by-play. Play. <laughs> they're going to be trying to get on a door somewhere. And totally. just, there's not going to be room for two. Totally. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And like there was, I, there were just a couple moments I was talking about Titanic before, but like I was also getting some Terminator vibes from like the big mm-hmm. yellow robot suit and the moment where, what's the kid's name? Newt. Newt. The moment where Rebecca. Newt, uh, right. Newt. But they call her Newt. The moment where she's like hanging off the edge of the elevator shaft. I was like screaming kid hanging off the edge of something is pure true lies like right yeah eliza dushko that image is almost exactly replicated um so there was just like a james cameron bingo card going on throughout this movie including like the female superheroine as like the clarion call against toxic masculinity yeah james cameron such a strange bird yeah well so on the one hand as you say it's a military picture in some ways it's it's a war movie but involving aliens war movie yeah well it is and it isn't right it, it takes a lot of the trappings like you know the, the, the jargon like it seems to be largely made up but like they, they have this like sort of marine jargon and the kind of joshing around feels very like beginning of like full metal jacket or something oh, oh yes apocalypse now but then most of it is in the end still a haunted house movie they spend about an hour and 15 minutes mm-hmm. or hour and 20 minutes kind of going around this abandoned facility where they can't quite diving out, into the wreck. Yeah, like quite not quite figuring out what the hell happened here. And then of course all fuck breaks loose and it becomes basically this like almost like roller coaster ride. But the other thing that happens, and this is kind of interesting that because of all the military trapping, it can be easy to miss the Cameron and, and, and I think Gail and Hurd who produced the movie are playing with a different genres as well. So there is the haunted house movie that it really takes a lot longer than the first with what actually happened here, right? Like the first one, you walk through the alien spaceship and basically it's incomprehensible, right? It's pure Mm -hmm. cosmic horror. Like there were humans on this planet in aliens and they're like, what the fuck happened here, right? Like, so like they're trying to reconstruct something in a way that like feels very much like a mystery or a a haunted house Yes, it does have a mystery sensibility, yeah. And then the thing that I think is a little harder to spot and it kind of gets grafted on once, especially once Newt enters the picture and in that beautiful scene where where Ripley tries to put Newt to sleep, which obviously like is a challenging thing with a child and under any circumstances. It's certainly a difficult thing when there is literal, you know, acid spewing aliens running out outside. Space it's parasites. Like, I still need you to uh, to go to sleep now. Anyway, so from that moment on, there is an element of fairy tale to this, right? It turns mm-hmm. out the aliens have a queen. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it's more of a queen bee than it is a a fairy tale queen, but there is this moment in the sewers where Newt is grasping her teddy, I believe, and behind her, this like lumbering figure of an alien kind of appears, and it's like, this is a Grimm's fairy tale thing. This really started to like, this is working with like sort of like surrealist adaptations of, of fairy tale. Um, totally. Fairy tales. 
Well, and like, yes, I love the fairy tale point. And I also think that the fairy tale connects us to the gay continuum of camp that also kind of pervades yeah, this. Yeah. Like, it's a campy movie. The image you just described yeah. is a campy image, you know, like Sigourney Weaver's sheer upper body strength saving her from the gravity pull of space is like a campy image. And yeah, I, think it, yeah. I think it was a campiness that I mostly enjoyed. I mean, the whole thing builds up to this like total like you know, you go girl moment where basically the alien queen is threatening Newt and Sigourney Weaver arrives in a mech suit with the immortal line, get away from her, you be. You bitch, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which apparently was Weaver's idea, I read in the research. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, but it basically becomes this like, right, slugfest between these two mother figures, right? Like, And of course, the first thing that, that Ripley does when she first sees the queen, understands what she is, is like, fry her eggs and be like, you know, like, if you don't let me go, I'm making scrambled alien eggs here, right? Like, like yeah. she, she intuits in that moment, like, that this creature is a mother. And no matter how alien she is, there is one place where she can hurt her and where that threat could be communicable. And so they are communicating to each other as people who know what eggs are about, basically. Yeah, totally. That's fascinating. What is campier in the end? than a bitch fest you know than a bitch fight is that yeah like what is campier than a bitch fight and this brings me back to how you were talking about in the first one there's a nihilistic sense of not knowing what the alien wants you know like it doesn't want anything except to be a predator and i think this is somewhat there in the first one but it's much sharper in the second one that one of the things that the mother alien wants is to protect the eggs right like yeah, that is the yeah. only discernible motivation for this yeah. space parasite yeah exactly it's such an interesting moment right it's the first time that like someone is sticking on their level and it is precisely through the, the category of motherhood that she's like oh she recognizes this yeah right there's, there's an interesting moment where the is it the bill paxton yes the bill paxton character the one who basically wants out like starting in minute three of this of this operation is like the aliens have cut the power and he's like how can they cut the power they're fucking animals man right like i mean it's it's a funny line and, and he's really great just like being like can't even he just can't even but it is of course an interesting moment and in like because he's trying to understand like what are the rules here like what am i dealing with here yeah what are the rules of this world yeah and in some way like that moment with the queen does answer his question to some extent, right? Like Sigourney Weaver's like, I don't understand these creatures any more than you do, but I understand this. Like, she's not going to want me to point a flamethrower at her eggs, right? This is intergalactically legible, yes. So something about the introduction of the maternal element broadly in Aliens and the Newt character specifically, like, as soon as I saw Newt, I was like, oh, this character is the equivalent of the puppy in Apocalypse Now. Uh. Like, this is what introduces emotional stakes to who survives this and who doesn't it's also analogous to the children the like irish children on titanic like this is a james cameron trope Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about how it's a trope for both of those directors for coppola animals like signaling vulnerability are a trope that recur throughout the godfather like the severed horse the cat in marlon brando's hands the dog in apocalypse now this is a coppola theme that is exactly what Cameron does with children. True lies we were talking about. Like right, the, right. the the daughter Eliza Dushku is like the moral center of that movie. Like the moment when everybody burst into tears in Titanic was like the Irish mother putting those children to bed. And that's exactly the sort of like levering emotional function that I think Newt and Newton Ripley's relationship serves in aliens. Yeah, not to go from like a profound point to a totally inane one, but like you know that that mother 
is Vasquez, right? The what mother? That mother in Titanic is the same actress as Vasquez. <gasps> yeah, she's wearing brown face in Aliens. It has not aged well. Shut the fuck up! No way! Oh, I'm so glad. I wasn't sure whether you knew that. That's the same I actress. I did. Oh, my. Vasquez is the Irish mother. This is what you're That's telling right. me? Yes, yes. Twist. I, like, already was never going to recover from these movies, and you just destroyed my... Wow, she was in brown face? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really not, not great. What a lead to Barry until minute 45. <laughs> I had no idea I did an IMDb at that. Yeah, no, that's the same person. Wow. Okay. Mind blown. You you win. You you I, I don't know what you win, but like that was amazing. That's like learning Natalie and Brulia's torn as a cover, which is another definitional moment in life. I mean, I think the introduction of Newt, you're absolutely right that it, it does something really interesting in that it, it recenters the movie kind of makes Ripley a more mm-hmm. identifiable kind of heroine, mm-hmm. right? Like to fight for a kid, pretty clear, pretty easy motivation, right? Like it's like a little bit like, right? Like a dude who has to avenge something, like yes. usually also a kid or whatever. And on the other hand, it does sort of in an interesting way, realign the masculinity of the whole thing, right? To Like there's this line early on, like, like we need a bunch of colonists' daughter to be liberated of their virginity or something Whoa. like that. Like there's a, the, you know, I think it's just supposed to show how how crass yeah. these people are. But like there is also there's an element here, locker room, right? Locker room talk. But there's also there's also an element here of like maybe as a kind of professional necessity, they never give real thought to the people that they're trying to find, right? Like they're they're just trying to figure out what happened. And once Newt is there, it's like really like, well, we got to get off this this planet. It's also the moment when, of course, she's the only one who's not there because someone's paying her to be there. It's also sort of the moment when, like, you know, well, I mean, these dummies, to some extent, including Sigourney Weaver, like, signed up for this. Yeah. Like, she, she thought long and hard about it, and, like, she obviously knew she shouldn't, but she did. And the way she thought long and hard about it, like, her character is really humanized and illuminated through the depiction of, like, her recovering from her trauma in Act 1 of the movie. Right. Like, that... Yeah. dimensionalizes her in a totally different way than the first movie did well damn i mean i can't believe you got me to watch two aliens movies like ultimately i'm glad i did i think i, I really wasn't yeah. sure after the yeah. first one but like i said the second one was a lot more fun for me and i give my begrudging thanks yet again to james cameron for everything he's put me through <laughs> over <Yeah>. the years <laughs> and the other thing we we might say in closing because we talked about it a little bit with titanic is just like the relentlessness of this like the, the, the first movie, it is relentless the yes. first movie has a long build-up and then it's suspenseful but it really moves at a deliberate clip even while the alien is killing everyone yes the second movie really has this kind of roller coaster structure where like it's wind up, wind up, wind up, going up the, up the, up the hill. And then suddenly you get to the peak and then like, there is no more stopping it. And like, it's really telling that for about an hour and a half, you just get pummeled by one climax after the other with the only real moment of relief being about Newt, being mm-hmm. about putting her to sleep, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like how to keep these things out for a night. Basically, they, they need to survive through the night. And th- there is this kind of moment where it sort of feels like, you know, they're, they're fortifying a particular part of this big complex. And you think like, okay, finally, everyone's acting 
like they should. Finally, they've understood they're in a horror movie and they're like, look, we're we're shutting all the windows and doors and we're not going outside right. and we're going to wait for this to blow over. It's settled, yes. Right, and like there's this brief moment and it's all structured kind of around Newt that they're basically trying to sort of figure out a way to like, like they're all playing home with her and of course it doesn't last, but it's, it's this interesting thing where like other than that moment, like it really is just utterly relentless totally. and, and just will not give you a moment to kind of catch your breath um, to the point that it really feels like a workout. Yes. In the most James Cameron way, like you walk out of the theater exhausted. And to that point, I think it's yeah. also worth noting that the second film is 21 minutes longer than the first film. The first yeah, film yeah. is only like an hour and 40 something minutes. And the second one is oh, like two and a quarter. James Cameron, that's on the bingo card. And it feels longer. And there is like a director's cut of it too, I think, which, you know, I think it fleshes out more what happened at the compound before they get there, which I think is, mm. is a mistake. I think I'm glad that mm -hmm. they cut that. I think it's good that you... Because like in the first hour and 15 minutes, like so little happens. It's it's good to not know because like at least you can sort of like entertain some theories right. as to like what went on here. Because there's a lot of flashlights shining into like spaces and you're like, yeah, that's fucking interesting. That's what the fuck is this? You know, it's good that there's like some uncertainty as to what happened here. But yeah, once it gets going, there's this kind of relentlessness and this kind of almost like yeah a spectacle of exhaustion right like it's really pummeling into you into like grudging acceptance of its world by the end of it which isn't true of the first one where really i'd say like the only the last 15 minutes are really unremittingly tense until then it's really like very gradual kind of buildup of paranoia a little bit like the thing you mm -hmm. know, another great creature movie and probably also the reason why cameron felt that he had to go so maximalist i mean there are i don't know how many aliens in this movie they're probably like like a hundred or something like that. I mean, like the, the S in the title is very, very much earned. And I think part of it is also that like since, you know, there have been a ton of alien knockoffs after alien, but in terms of creature design, the thing really blows it all out of the water, right? Like, which is exactly that, which like builds up to a moment and to a denouement of such downbeat, absolute mm -hmm. despair that like, there's no way that an alien sequel could have matched that. And I think that's part of why the movie is about communities and is about mm. families and it's about like groups of aliens, right? The humans and the aliens, but also groups that like have group goals. Because like, if you wanted to sort of think about like the individual and this like, you know, cosmic resignation before like forces we can neither understand nor control, like the thing I think sort of went as far in that direction mm -hmm. as one could. And like Cameron, to his credit, doesn't even try. This is a left turn, but have you ever seen the original Japanese Ringu, the ring, the Japanese one? I have, yeah, but it's been years. It's been years, but there was a quality of the suspense in the first Alien that reminded me of it. That like might, yeah. might put this on our Women of Horror list to discuss. That's another yeah, truly scary yeah. and interesting and layered movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we, you know, brought it in a tight 50. Yeah, we, we covered, covered it. our, um, our, space our first movie. Yeah, yeah. Space Persephone. In space, no one can hear Persephone. You know, that was the tagline for the first movie. Space, <laughs> no one can hear you scream. Yes, I do remember that. Yes. The other thing that in space, no one can hear you do is podcast. So there's that. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. Well, please come back and join us again for these discussions of films that are not recent, but always relevant, uh, at least to us. We're just going to keep doing this whenever we feel like it is pretty much the plan. Yep.
we are entertaining requests. If there's movies you want to hear about, you can always still, you know, I saw a tweet the other day that was like, this is the worst site in the world. She says, we'll continuing to post actively and engage often. And like, that's pretty much my status check with Twitter oh, yeah. right now. So you can still find us there. And I think Adrian engaged in some other sites too, that I haven't discovered yet. Yeah. Follow me on, follow me on blue sky. Yeah. Cause no one else is. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be my first. Perfect. Well, thank you for listening. Stay clear of space parasites and uh, come back soon. See you next time.